0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Well, howdy! My name is Kevin Barra and I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus. Welcome, welcome here. There are some chairs you can snag and and get around over here. So glad you are here with us this morning. We are continuing our journey in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, jump to Philippians chapter 3 um, or an app on your phone or that sort of thing. Jump to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit for us. i pray for us one more time, and then we are going to jump in. Y'all ready for this? Okay, let's try this one more time. All right. This is going to go so much better if y'all are interactive. Are y'all ready for this? That's what I'm talking about, all right. Can we have some fun this morning? I think we can have some fun this morning. I think we need some fun this weekend. I think we need some fun this weekend. Amen? Amen. All right. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one, the first eleven verses, says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He just gave you his impeccable resume. And he says, if anyone has a right to believe that they've accomplished something, I more so. Verse seven, but whatever I gained, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you for Paul's brutal honesty. There are things in life that he had accomplished, but as he compared the things that he accomplished to the gift that it is in knowing you, he said, it is not even worth comparing. And Lord, I know many of us this morning, we we. Deeply desire acceptance, and that's why we chase so many of the things that we do. It's why we want to build the perfect resume, put out the perfect picture, show ourselves to be in control. But Lord, I pray that as we see what you spoke through through Paul, that we might see life isn't about proving we're worth it. We can receive acceptance through your Son. So Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to this this morning and that you would move us to stop proving and validating our life, but we would receive the acceptance that you give us in your son. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you what, there is a deep desire in all of us to be accepted, like to to be part of something, to feel like like we're part of a group or, or accepted by our peers. There is a deep desire in every one of our lives. In fact, for most of us, that's where we feel like we'll find happiness. Like if we can be accepted by the right group, if we can be into the right crowd, that's where we'll find acceptance. That's where we'll find ourselves a part of something. And it was, it was in first grade when I first saw this play out clearly in my life. Um, I was in first grade and we were doing like this group little project around this table. And so we had gathered around this table and we're working on this little project together. And as we're standing there, um, I realized that I have to expel some gas as a first grader, right? And as I'm staying there in that moment, I just go, maybe I'll just let it go and no one will notice. And and I did. And it was um, to a point where more people noticed than I had expected. And And they immediately all turn and start looking at me. And at that point, my face turns beet red, right? Like I'm just, oh no. And they're they're like pointing like, was that you? Was that that you? And I'm like, no, it wasn't me. And they're like, your face is red. Why is your face red if it wasn't you? And I'm like, I don't know. I can do that sometimes. And so literally in that moment, I, I held my breath and like made my face get even more red. And at that point, for some reason, I passed out. I'm not even joking. I'm not even making this up. I passed out, and got a concussion. <laughs> they take me. I wake up in the nurse's office, and uh, <laughs> and I go home that day. I come back to the next day, and a friend of mine, who became a better friend of mine, uh, named Ben, said, "Yeah, man, um, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." He's like, "He's like, yeah. When you passed out, do you know what else happened?" I'm like, "What?" He's like, "When you hit the ground, uh, the jarring force of you hitting your head knocked a booger out of your nose." <laughs> And the paper we were all working on had a had a booger right in the middle of it um, through it. So and I'm like, good God. <laughs> Public elementary, right? You know? And and, and at that moment I, I just I just think back at that moment I go, there was just this deep desire to be accepted. To not do something stupid, to be part of the group, to want them to to accept me and be part of this. And I, I try to do something stupid to 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 cover up my mistakes so that I might be part of this community. And i tell you what, there's something deep within all of us that wants that, to wants to be connected. And, and we do silly little things to try to cover, our fault, cover up our faults so that we might be brought into relationship. And you've got your stories. Hopefully they didn't involve concussions, you know. But you've got your stories where you try to get accepted by doing certain things. And i tell you what, this desire to be part of something, to, to be accepted by a group, runs deep within every one of our lives. In fact, there was a, a, a singer a couple years ago. Her name is uh, Alicia Cara. And she writes this song called Scars to Your Beautiful. And you're probably familiar with it. And she says this, she wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves attention. She praises an image. She prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she doesn't see the light that's shining deep, deeper than the eyes can find it. Maybe we have made her blind. So she tries to cover up her pain and cut her woes away. Because cover girls don't cry. Don't cry after the face is made. But there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. You know some, you're beautiful just the way you are. And you don't have to change a thing. The world will change its heart. No scars to your beautiful. We're stars and we're beautiful. And you, you see the, the, the pain that she's bringing. She's talking about this girl, and you probably could sing the song. You probably sing along with it, but it's, it's, it's this desire for this deep acceptance. And this girl who doesn't feel like she measures up. She doesn't feel like she's enough. It's almost singing to her like, you, you're beautiful just the way you are. There, there's something within you that's, that's just beautiful just the way you are. You don't have to put on this right performance, but there's something within all of us that feels like we have to. And that's why this section of Paul's letter to Philippians is so helpful. Because there's two ways you can live life. You can live life proving that you're worth accepting, or you can live your life receiving the acceptance that you already have. You can live live your life literally in two paths. You can live your life trying to prove that you are worth accepting, or you can receive the acceptance that you already have. And I hope that you go to path two, because Paul has some really strong language about path one by proving you are worth accepting. He has some pretty strong language in this section. And he says it this way. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. He says, look, I want to protect you about something. I want to protect you as I'm writing this to you. I want you to rejoice in the Lord, meaning I want your joy to be in God. I want you to find your happiness, your completeness. I want you to find your joy in the one place that really produces it, and it's in God. And I want you to warn you about something. I want to warn you about the dogs, verse two. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And as you, I read those words, it's, it's very interesting. He uses some really strong language. He first says, look out for the dogs. Now, the, the word dog, uh, w- for us, it's cute, right? You're like, oh, puppy, you know, look out for the dogs. Oh, the puppies? No, like, no we're going to look out for them. But for them, dogs were scavengers. They were, they were not uh, domesticated creatures like us today. They were scavengers. Um, they, were, they were terrified. They were terrifying animals to that culture. They were, they were unclean. And Paul does something interesting. They would, to the Jews, they would call the Gentiles dogs. But he turns this language on to the Jewish people. He says, beware of the dogs. And now, how would I know they're Jewish people? Because of what they're asking them to do. He calls them evildoers. They're practicing evil. And then we get to see who he's talking about. Those who mutilate the flesh. Now, he uses the word uh, literally to cut to pieces. The word circumcision means to cut around. He uses a a different term, meaning to chop to pieces. And so that's where we get what he's talking about. See, in this culture, there was a there is a question about, should I follow Christ apart from obeying the Mosaic law, or should I embrace the Mosaic law in all that it entails? In other words, can I believe in Jesus and just add on to my Jesus believing rules, regulations, Old Testament practices? Should I should I just be a Christian, or should I add on to my Christianity the the rules that this old religion played. And Paul has some really stark language for adding on old Jewish rules to new life in Christ. And he calls them literally mutilators of the flesh. They're chopping you up. And then he says, but we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You see the issue. And so what these Judaizers, Judaizers would do is say, like, I'm so glad you came to faith in Christ. That's so great. What you need to do to be at varsity level is to do all of the Old Testament laws, meaning you need to practice circumcision. You can go look at diagrams later on. Um, it's a process in which you become part of the community. It was one of the early signs of being part of the community. It mainly affects men. And, uh, and so that's what you need to do in order to be part of this community. But it was beyond that. It was beyond just like, will you uh, submit yourself to this practice? Will you embrace the rest of the practices? Will you embrace all of the Old Testament law? And Paul has some really stark language. He says, look, the people that are asking you to do that are dogs. They're evildoers. They're looking to mutilate you. But we, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. He says there's a contrast. You can either submit to rules and regulations to prove that you're right, or you can put no confidence in your accomplishments and instead glory in Christ. You can rest your salvation, your rightness, your acceptance on what you produce, or you can rest your confidence on what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then he says, those are your two paths. You can either rest on Christ or you can perform the duties. Which are you going to choose? And he says, in case you're wondering, should I I try to perform it? Should I try to earn it? Should I try to earn my salvation or should I receive it? He says, I just want to tell you this. If you're trying to receive it, you will not do a better job than me. And he literally gives you his resume. He gives you his history. If you want to try to prove that you are the best Christian out there, that you are truly following God, that God really loves you, just just stack your resume next to mine. And he gives you his resume starting in verse, verse four. He says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more so. And he says, look, some of you say, okay, Kevin, in order for God to accept me, I've got to do certain things. And some of you, if there's a list of Christianity, of do's and don'ts, you've kept the do's. So you were homeschooled. You were, <laughs> just telling you, you were homeschooled. Um, you went to a private Christian school. You, you, if there was a list of rules out there for you to keep, you kept the rules really, really well. And you feel like, some of you who grew up in those type of environments, you feel like you earned your place. And as you look at the rest of us public school miscreants, you go, clearly, you haven't played the game well enough, right? And what he's saying is this, look, if there is a status to reach, I've reached it. If there's a mountain to climb, Paul is saying, I've climbed it. If there's a task to perform, I've performed it. And he gives you a list of seven things seven in the Jewish mind was the number of perfection. He says, I've done these seven things. Some of these are things I was born with. Four of them were things that I was born with. I was raised in the right family, born to the right parents. I had the right pedigree. And three of these things are things that I did, proving that I earned my way to God. And some of you saying, well, isn't that what God wants? to live the perfect life, to do all of the right things? Well, he gives his list, and I want you to look at his list. Verse five, it says this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. There was first a a rule in the Jewish faith that once you were born into a Jewish family, you were then become circumcised on the eighth day, being set apart for the Jewish people. What he's basically saying is this, I was in it from the beginning. I was Jewish from birth. Some of you are, are coming into the faith, and so they're asking you to add on these religious observances in order to be part of the, the in crowd. Look, I was born into the in crowd. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I'm homegrown, baby, right? Right? I was in it from the beginning. Some of you are from small towns, and you know that anytime a new person moves in there, it doesn't matter if they've lived there for 20 years. If they weren't born in the town, they're always an outsider. Paul is saying, I'm an insider. I've always been an insider of the tribe of Benjamin. So not only he's an insider, he's with one of the, one of the only two tribes that lived in Jerusalem and could trace their lineage. Most other Jewish people, as they were put into the diaspora, as they were taken captive in Babylon and Persia, they lost their roots. They couldn't trace their roots well. He's saying, I can trace my roots all the way to the beginning. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What is he saying? I speak Hebrew. Like, you think you're cool because you can read your Bible in the King James? That's sweet. I can read it in the original language, baby, right? Most Jews at that time couldn't read it in the original language. He goes, I can read Hebrew, And not only that, he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the premier teachers of their time. He's like, I was at his feet, Hebrew of Hebrews. I earned it by being born in the right place. And some of you kind of feel that way. And you may be like, oh, Kevin, I'm not chasing those limits. But some of you, as you interact with people, where you were born, who you were born to, your pedigree makes a big difference. Some of your organizations really care about this. Are you a legacy, right? You walk into A&M, and they're just like, are you a legacy? Like, how, how deep of a legacy? Did your great-great-grandfather start A&M? Then I don't know if you're really a legacy, you know? Start it now. Start Bleeding Maroon, generation to generation, right? There, there's something within that wants you to prove that you're, you're something. Some of you be like, yeah, I'm from Highland Park. And some organizations are like, welcome to our doors, Highland Park friend, you know? Others of you are like, oh yeah, I'm from this town, and all of a sudden things open up for you. Because for some of you, being from the right place is such a big deal. For Paul, he's saying, look, if it comes from being from the right place, I was it. In my little culture, having this pedigree mattered a lot. That may not be your pedigree, but there probably is a pedigree you want to align your life with. I wish I was from this place. I wish I knew these people. I wish I was part of this in crowd. And Paul says, you know what? If there is a ladder to climb, I climbed it. But not only stuff that I was born with, secondly, stuff I earned. He says, I was a Pharisee. At that time, one of the most religiously difficult groups to be a part of was the Pharisees. They memorized the entire Old Testament verbatim in the original Hebrew. Just think about that for a second. Memorized the entire Old Testament in the original language. There was all sorts of rules and regulations they submitted themselves to. There was things that they would wear. There was prayers that they would give. He did all of it. If there was a list to to adhere to, he did it. As to zeal, was I zealous? He says, I was a persecutor of the church. I mean, he held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen. He was literally murdering for God in his mind. As to righteousness, was I right in the eyes of God? I was blameless. So if you were to pick all of the different things that a a good person should do, I did all of them. I was from the right family and I did all of the right things. But here's the challenge, performance-based living. If your goal is to earn it, to have performance-based living, you'll never measure up and here's why. Because in everything that you can evaluate, If you're living by performance, here's the truth. Your performance has to keep on being perpetuated. If it's in sports, what do they say? You're only as good as your last game. If it's in business, the question is this. What have you done for me lately? I'm so glad last quarter went great for you and you had all those sales. What have you done for me lately? If it's in movies, it's the actor. How how good was your last film? And I'll tell you what, if you're living on performance-based standards, you're always constantly needing to produce something. And you never know if you're ever accepted. So some of you, it's your search. It's not these standards. It's your own standard. It's your search for the perfect body. And you stand in before the mirror, and you get those weights, and you're like, good to be the king. And you look in the mirror, and you go... I could be more ripped, I could be more cut, I could look better. Or for some of you ladies, you stand in front of the mirror and it's, 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 a, it's a terrifying experience because you constantly do not measure up to whatever standard it is that you think you need to be at for people to accept you. It's that, that search for the perfect body or it's the pursuit of success. It's if I just achieve this, then people will like me. Then I'll be accepted in my culture. J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men that ever lived, America's first billionaire, was once asked by a reporter, when, how much money is enough? And he said this, just a little bit more. See, the problem with performance-based lif- living is this. There's always a desire for just a little bit more. And I'll tell you what, the same thing is true in a Christian life. In the Christian life, we could live on performance-based living. You can ask yourself, am I praying the right prayers? Am I reading the right books? Am I caring for the right causes? I mean, there's a new cause that comes up every two or three years, and the people that are on the front of that bandwagon, they're like, oh, yeah, we care about the orphan. Do you? You know? Oh, we care about racial injustice. Do you? I'm like, yeah, I care about all those things. Yeah, but how much do you care? how much do you care about the orphan? Are you adopting children now? I'm like, 19. Hey, do you care or not, <laughs> right? We're going to Africa. Have you been to Africa? We're going to this place. Have you been to that place? Have you read all of C.S. Lewis's books? Have you read all of your Bible twice? Are you learning the original language? What is your problem? And we put all of these rules in place. Do you, do you pray for hedges around people? Or do you only pray that, they, that God knows them? Like, what, what is the way? Do you use Father God? What do you use... And are you using the right tools? Are you playing the right game? And if, if you play the right game, then you'll be accepted in our group. And I'll tell you what, it becomes this treadmill of, am I doing enough to earn the favor of God? And it's literally a hamster, hamster wheel. I never had a hamster growing up. It's one of my great laments. Now as an adult, um, they smell. And I understand why my parents didn't want to have a hamster. But, but my son and, and his... Uh, um, preschool class, they have a hamster who's in there. And every now and then we go in there and that hamster is just treading away on the wheel, you know, like, and it runs up a little bit and it kind of comes back down and it's just running away. And I look at this hamster and I'm like, but it's, it's not going anywhere. You know, like it's, it's just going. I mean, I feel the same way on the treadmill. That's like my own experience of the hamster wheel. You know, I go to the gym and I run on the treadmill and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just, I'll be here when it, when it's all over, I'll be right here. And when you live in performance-based paradigms, it's just a hamster wheel. You're not climbing any ladder because you're only as good as your last game, you're only as good as your last performance, you're only as good as your last sale, and you're constantly churning, trying, pleading, will someone accept me? Will someone say that I'm enough? And Paul says, look, the people that are trying to add lists of what it means to be faithful to God, of what it means to be right in God's eyes, they are tearing you down. They are not building you up. They're not showing you how to pursue God in a meaningful way. What they're saying is you are going to try to twist the arms of God, the arm of God, by your obedience, but you'll never arrive where you want. Because what do you want more than anything else? A relationship. More than someone approving what you do, you want a relationship that matters most. And Paul says, that's the difference. You can spend your life on the treadmill trying to gain acceptance, or you can have a relationship that shows you're already accepted. You're already in. You're already loved. And that's why Paul uses even stronger language to talk about his own life. Verse 7, he says it this way. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. There are three things that Paul says in in receiving righteousness or or relational living that we need and the first piece is this that receiving means that we know we don't need to perform he says everything i gained i count it as loss he it's, it's an accounting term he says when i compare everything that i gained in life my resume my accolades all the different things that i earned in life i compare them as loss compared to knowing christ jesus in fact it's, it's even harsher than that. It's even firmer than that. He's, he's saying, Peter O'Brien, one commentator writes, he's, he's not saying that it's indifferent that I did these things. He's saying these things can be positively harmful. And here's why. Because you can put confidence in the things that you accomplish to make you right with God, and that will put you on a tipping point. You'll base your acceptance on what you do. And instead of that, he says, I count them as rubbish. Now, your Bible is nice, and your translators are nice by saying rubbish. It's actually used the word to describe uh, ex- excrement, which is a nice way of saying poopy, you know? I mean, like, that's, <laughs> that's what he's saying. And your Bible's actually a little, little more stark. I mean, it would also be described to describe a burning flesh, like there was the Gehenna where they would burn um, just garbage and stuff. And he's like, that's refuse. I consider all of my accomplishments, all of my awards, all of my accolades as garbage, as refuse, as excrement compared to knowing Christ. He says, if I stack up everything I've accomplished in life and I compare it, when I weigh it, to knowing Christ, it's refuse. It's not even worth the compare. Why? Why would he say that? I mean, is going to A&M bad? I mean, that's going to be on your resume, right? Is having an internship a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Is competing in athletics a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. But he's saying, look, when you compare what I get by doing all of those accomplishments compared to knowing Christ relationally, it's not even worth comparing. So my, uh, my wife and I, uh, we started dating when she was 14, I was 16, right? She was a freshman in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, and so we never broke up. So we, and we ended up dating almost nine years before we got married. Different story, uh, but I've known her a long time. But I know her before I was a Christian. And we started dating before I was a Christian. Lots of issues with that, but we'll get get into that now. But at the time, there was was three different girls that I was all interested in. And I remember one girl that I was interested in, uh, she didn't actually want to have a relationship with me. She just wanted to be secret friends. And so I would try to hold her hand in the hallway and she'd be like, no. And I would like try to like, introduce her as my girlfriend to people, and she'd be like, no, we'll just keep this on the DL. And there came a moment when when I met Hillary, and I said, oh my gosh, she is better. She doesn't want to be a secret friend. She is interested in me. And so all of a sudden, I remember I started talking with Hillary, and this other girl got upset. And I said, I think I'm going to date Hillary now. And she's like, "Well." I thought we had something. I'm like, n- n- no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to go this way. And then I started dating Hillary. And I was an idiot for, for many, many years. And I'm so thankful for her. And there came to a point in, in college when I came to Christ. And we started growing together. And then I, I had to make this, this amazing decision of, am I going to live, even though we're dating, am I going to live single or am I going to commit my life to this girl? And then I thought about everything that we had been through in our relationship. I mean, there's so many transitions that happened from from early in high school to later in high school to college to we were graduating from college, like all of those transitions. And not only that, added to the fact that, that I came to faith and she started growing in her faith. And we were going through that transition. And I think about all of the things that we had gone through together. And I thought, being with her Knowing her is better than ever being apart. And if someone was to tell me, hey, Kevin, if you choose not to be in a relationship with her, you could go to Spain for the summer and spend all the money you're going to spend on that ring on the Spain trip. I'd be like, no, not worth it. But Kevin, you can save that money and some of the heartache and, and you, can, you can do these other things with your life. I'd be like, when comparing those things I could do with what I gain in this relationship, it's not even worth comparing. In fact, he says it's scuba, right? So compared to all I get with her, that all I would lose, that's scuba, baby. Like I don't even compare it with it because she is so much better. And Paul says, look, I met the author of life. I'm at the God of the universe. And when I compare everything I could gain compared to this relationship of knowing the God of the universe, when I compare the two, it's like, it's not even worth comparing. Everything I could gain apart from God versus a vibrant relationship, knowing the creator of the universe, it's worth nothing. See, I get to know him. This relationship requires knowing. But secondly, this relationship means that I receive righteousness. In Philippians 3.9, it says this, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says this, you get a rightness when you come into this relationship and you want rightness. You want to be accepted and you get it from him. I was reading an article in The Guardian and there was a woman writing this article and she, she wasn't a believer, but she was in struggling with this feeling of not being connected, not being enough. And she writes this, despite going to gifted classes, I never seemed to be interested in school. I had anger problems. I would let out my frustrations on my parents with yelling and huge fights. I was addicted to practically everything that was bad for me, from video games to gambling to pot, As the years progressed, I got more sucked in. In my mind, there was a case being built against me. Even though I wasn't religious, I subconsciously imagined some divine detective gathering evidence every time I screwed up. Soon I was convicted. The evidence would be so stacked against me that I would simply have to accept it. I was bad. Isn't it interesting? This person who is not a Christian, as she looks at her life, the title of the article is, I spent 20 years of my life trying to prove myself. She's saying, I couldn't. It's interesting, though, that's how most people try to spend their life. Uh, One artist, one songwriter from Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, says this, the best revenge is to live on and prove yourself. The problem is, it's only if you're successful at it. It's only if you can be right enough. And Paul says, instead of trying to prove myself and outprove others, I received a righteousness. See, Martin Luther calls this this the great exchange. If you haven't heard of the great exchange, you've got to tune in. The great exchange is this. When you come to Christ, everything that you've ever done wrong or thought wrong is put on the cross of Christ. Everything. Everything. Everything you've thought wrong or done wrong, everything is put on the cross of Christ. And when when you believe that he died in your place for your sins, he puts his perfect righteousness, his perfect life to your account. His perfect acceptance is given to you. And so if you were to die and you were to stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Because I lived a good life. Because I was born to the right family? No. It's because all of my sin went to Jesus in a moment and his perfect life is given to my account. You know what the Christian life is about? It's having been received. It's having been accepted. You are now a son or a daughter with not merely a clean slate. It's not that you start at zero. You start having the wealth of Christ. So when God looks at you right now, he doesn't see all the sin and the problems and the mistakes that you have made. He sees Christ's account. He doesn't see all the things that you have yet to prove. He says, I see my perfect son in your account. And he says, I want a righteousness that's not what I earn, it's what I receive. Not a righteousness of my own that I have to prove over and over again. I won't receive righteousness. And that's what you have when you come to Christ. All of your desire to earn, to prove, is canceled out. And he gives you a perfect, full bank account. Some of you so desire that graduating college. You're like, Kevin, right now I have a depleted low. Bank account, and it is a pain for you to think about all the loans you've got to pay back. Imagine if all that was wiped away, but not merely wiped away, not merely wiped away. You were filled with a begillion dollars of real cold hard cash. That would be awesome. And how would you live? How would you live? If someone said, hey, can we go out for pizza? You'd be like, well, money's a little tight. You know, no, I'm a gillionaire. Like, let me pay for it, right? If you knew you were that accepted and you knew you had that to your account, how would you live? And Paul says, look, when I think about earning and I think about what I've got, it's not even worth comparing. I have so much more in Christ because he gave me his account. And lastly, he says this, your relationship means you're empowered. You don't have to try to produce. Verse 10 says it this way, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He says, look, I know Jesus. I've received his righteousness and I am empowered to live a new life. He says, I want to obtain the the resurrection from the dead, like the super resurrection. I want to receive something from Jesus that's better than everything else that could be gained. And that is a future promise. If you put your faith in Christ, there is eternity promised for you. You'll never die. You'll spend eternity with God. But it's also a present reality. You can live empowered to follow God. You can say no to sin, and yes to God, and not merely live a holy life, live a a powerful life, a life where you make a difference. And the goal of the Christian life isn't to avoid sin. The goal of the Christian life is to bring what's right to the world. And you know how you do that? You've got to be part of this love relationship that changes everything. Two paths. Live your life proving or live your life knowing you are fully accepted by Jesus. And I tell you what, if you believe that, it'll change everything. My wife and I have been watching Stranger Things. Fans, anyone finished with it? If you're finished with this series, the rest of you, I'm sorry, I'm gonna ruin it for you. Just a little piece, okay? Just a little piece. No, it'll be okay, you'll love it, okay? I know, I know, You'll, you'll hate me. Hey, you'll love this. You'll love this. So there's a moment at the end of, of episode nine. Hey, this don't ruin anything. I promise you. Like if this actually ruined, I wouldn't say it. This won't ruin anything. And there's a moment where they're at a dance. It's a junior high dance. It'll ruin nothing. So if you've seen it, you're like, okay, this ruins nothing. Okay. They're at a junior high dance. And all the boys are there and they start dancing with different people. And there's this one, the goofy kid with no teeth. Um, he's he's just a, a, um, a dork, right? You know, he's just an interesting cat, and and he's he's talks with this one guy about how to look cool and feel cool, right? To be accepted, and so his his friend tells him, hey, put this hair product in your hair, wear some good clothes, and pretend like you don't care, right? That's how you win the ladies, right? And so <laughs> he does his hair; it looks. So 80s epic, you know, like just the, the whole deal. And he walks in there, and he goes and starts asking girls to dance. And he goes to this group of girls like, hey, do y'all want to dance? And they go, hmm, i walk off. And he goes to another group of girls like, hey, and they ignore him. And he walks over and sits on the side of the bleachers. Like this is probably reliving junior high, too, too close to home for some of you, right? <laughs> he, go, he goes over and sits on the bleachers by himself, and, and he starts crying. And then one of the sisters of one of these boys sees him. Her name's um, Nancy. Yeah, she sees him sitting over there. And she beelines, beelines to him and says, hey, do you want to dance? And he's like, um oh, "Um, oh, oh, okay. And he stands up, and he stumbles his way out into the dance floor. And she says, okay. And she puts his arms around, around her waist. She puts her arms around him. And they start kind of slow dancing and talking. And all these other girls are like, mm, you know, I just can't even believe it. And you see the joy in this little guy's face when he realizes he's accepted. He's in. And it wasn't that he was, had a chance with this girl. It wasn't even that he was going to date her. It, was, it has nothing to do with that. It was this person reached out when I felt very lost and brought me in. That is exactly what Christ does for you. He steps in at our place when we're trying to prove that we have something and says, look, I just love you for you. She says to him, you're my, one of my brother's favorite friends. You're my favorite, favorite friend of my brother. And that little moment when she just says, I like you, I care for you, changed everything. Stopped earning. It's just receiving. Have you received that from Christ? Are you still trying to earn your way up? Have you received Christ's unblemished acceptance? Are you still trying to prove that you have something to him? Come to Christ's feet. Stop trying to earn. Just receive. It'll change your life. It'll allow you to walk into job interviews and go, you know what, I hope I get this job, but I'm not going to sell myself to you because I'm already accepted. It enables you to walk into organizations and say, hey, I'd love to be a part of this, but I'm not gonna freak out if I miss it because I'm already accepted in Christ. It means I can walk in life confident, knowing my Savior loves me unconditionally. I don't have to constantly climb the ladder, run the wheel, because it'll never produce. I know I'm loved by my Savior. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you, that you used Paul's resume, his perfect obedience in his culture as really a, a description for all of us. We all want to have the perfect resume. We want to get the perfect job. We want to prove that we're enough. There's something within us that knows that we're not and wants to show that we have what it takes. I pray that we may look at the cross, know that we're fully accepted in Christ, And that gives freedom to every step of our lives. And Lord, I pray that if there's something that we're we're trying to prove, we're trying to earn, that you would show us what that is. And more importantly, you would show us that in your son, we are fully loved. Stop striving, cease and rest in what you have given us in your son. It's in your holy name we pray, amen. You guys turn your tables and have some great discussion.